Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS. This is Katie, your host, and today we're going to be talking to Patrick from Texas. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Katie. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Well, it's it's a Saturday morning, and believe it or not, the sun is shining in Texas today. <laughs> no way. In August? <laughs> Yeah, it's only 101 right now. So. Yeah, I feel you. I'm in Florida. I feel you. So I'm so excited to talk to you about your story. Um, I know that you've, you've been very recently diagnosed relatively, so I'm very appreciative of you being an open book and sharing your story with us. Yes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm real excited about uh, what the VEDS uh, has done for me personally. In, in this transition of learning about this and the support of the people is absolutely incredible. Well, how are you diagnosed with VEDS? When did that happen? Well, in uh, 2012, uh, in fact, it was New Year's Eve 2012, um, I had a uh, perforation of my colon. And... Uh, they said they didn't want to do surgery at the time. They wanted to calm it down. And then they wanted to uh, have me come back in, in July. And uh, they were going to take the bad part of my colon out. And that's where the nightmare actually began. Uh, I had three surgeries in one week. And uh, the third surgery that they did was about a 10-hour surgery because I went into uh, uh, acute sepsis, peritonitis, kidney failure, and uh, I was very, very, very sick. In fact, they didn't know if I was going to make it through this surgery. And I had major complications, and they did 12, had a total of 12 colon resection surgeries between 12 and 14, 2012 and 2014, with infections, and they could never get my colon reconnected. In fact, at one time uh, after my fifth surgery, uh, I had a colostomy and an ileostomy at the same time. And uh, it was a absolute nightmare about after my fifth surgery, they brought in a, an infectious disease doctor uh, who ran a bunch of unusual tests. Uh, they thought I had a condition called Job syndrome, which is it's an immune disorder. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I joined a group called the Immune Deficiency Foundation. And they put me kind of like, a mentoring thing. They put me with a mentor, and the guy's was named Ronnie, and we became very, very close friends. He helped get me into the NIH, and the NIH ran tons of testing on me. They came back with a uh, a test because at the time they didn't have the new the new genetics test that they do now. Mm -hmm. uh, but they came back with a condition called CARD11 gene mutation. It was, in fact, I was written in the case study. In the beginning, I was one of six people. 
that they knew that had it. Now there's more. And uh, when the new genetics test came on, they ran that, and I didn't hear anything until April, about the 27th of April of this year. I was contacted by a genetics uh, counselor from the NIH, and they found that uh, I tested positive for the the VEDS vascular Stanlow syndrome. So you got diagnosed from a test that actually happened in like 2012 or 2014-ish? Well, uh, the test was done in... Uh, 19 I was I got with them it was probably 2015 mm -hmm. uh, by the time I got up there because it takes a while to get accepted into their program and we had thousands of pages of medical records that were sent up there to them mm -hmm. before I went up there and uh, they finally accepted me and um, that's how that you know, and then I would go up and take periodic visits. Then they came out with this, the new test. And I'm not sure how long the new test has been is in effect, the, but they ran it. Is that the whole exome sequencing? Yeah, that's it. So when you found out you had VEDS in April this year, how did that feel? It felt very, it was sc very scary. You know, uh, I, uh, I started researching VEDS very heavily. And, and when I saw them, the age of 48 years, and, you know, I'm 54 now, and I said, my gosh, I'm living on borrowed time. Is, yeah. is that right? I think um, I've seen that on the NIH website, and I think... Right. Where some people get confused or where it is generally confusing is that the research studies talk about a median. A median right. life of 48 years age. Yeah, 51, yeah. 48. Like it's somewhere yeah. in that range. Um, but that's not an average. So that means that half of people live to that age. So right. does that, that kind of like changes the way that you look at it. But yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, it, it was a, a a very very lonely feeling, and I immediately reached out to find some support or help somewhere and some direction of what I needed to do. And I mean, the the Veds Association only being together less than a year, they had it together. And people were reaching out to me, and I was talking to people. And that gave me a lot of comfort, being able to talk to other people about it. And uh, their direction, um, I, I immediately, uh, the NIH got me in with a uh, the geneticist. And uh, I made an appointment, went and saw him. Uh, I've, I've gone through the scans since then, and uh, my scans were good, basically. That's great. Uh, I do have an aortic valve issue, that's a regurgitation that they'll have to watch. But 
other than that, my scans were really good. That's wonderful news to get. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, I saw people talking about it. And I didn't understand what was going on till, you know, I experienced the same experience myself. You kind of sit there and hold your breath till the results come back. So I was I was relieved about that. Um, this condition kind of hits close to home because in 2011, in June of 2011, uh, my mother went in for a aortic valve replacement, mm -hmm. and uh, also there it was an open heart surgery. They were going to do some heart. She had some blockages that they needed to uh, a bypass they needed to do. And my mother was on the operating table for about 12 hours that day, and she succumbed to the two VEDs. Um, they tried to replace the aortic valve, and it just, the tissues just melted. Mm -hmm. And uh, the doctor, fortunately, the surgeon she had was involved with the Marfan Foundation. They did an autopsy and found out that she was positive for VEDs also. So your mom... Um, had the open heart surgery and passed away in 2011 and had right. a genetic test at autopsy that showed VEDS. Right. But but you didn't get your diagnosis until earlier this year in 2020. That's correct. And and honestly, uh, it, it you know, in retrospect, I probably should have had this checked out, but both my sisters... Uh, I have two older sisters. They said that they went and saw a cardiologist, and they said they didn't have problems. And I saw, well, you know, I don't have the problems either. Have they been tested since then, or did they just? Uh, one sister has, one sister has. I have one sister that just does not want to know. Okay. That, that's a, it is a hard thing to know about yourself. <laughs> yeah. It is. And so when, so your mom passed away and then had the autopsy that showed VEDS and you mm -hmm. and your sisters looked at it and they went to see a cardiologist and were told that eh, you're probably fine. Uh, right. You don't seem to have any issues. And then you thought, yeah, I'm probably fine too. And never went forward with genetic testing. Right. That's so, correct. So when the NIH provided you that result from the whole exome sequencing earlier this year, VEDS was not something that was completely new then. No, and they knew I had a connective tissue disorder from the surgery issues that I had, mm -hmm. but they didn't know what type it was. And uh, so it was, uh, although when I heard it, it was a very big shock to me. I knew something about it. I wasn't totally ignorant to the fact, um, you know, the, the, uh, it amazes me how the medical community, a lot of them are ignorant to the fact because they want to see me have hypermobility and, you know, in my joints and stuff like that. I don't have that. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it just amazes me. Um, and, and I know it's a very rare, you know, it's a very unusual, rare condition, but 
you would think that they would have a little more knowledge in that area. It is it's very unfortunate, and you know we're working hard to to fix that. But it it has been <laughs> that's been a point of frustration for me too since I was diagnosed a few years ago. <laughs> so working hard to fix that. So what are some? You said you didn't have hypermobility. Right. What are some things that you you did have? Like looking back, I mean, you weren't diagnosed until you were fifty four. Right. So what are things that maybe were signs? Uh, I bruised a lot, but one of the creepy things is I, as a kid and still now, I sleep with my eyes open, and <laughs> and. You know, thinking back on it, because I remember it used to drive my family crazy. I would just crash out on a couch, and <laughs> my eyes would be completely wide open or, or, or half open or, or whatever. And uh, when people started talking about that, I said, man, I'm, I'm with my people now. <laughs> uh, they understand this. So it it. it it was like I said, though it was it was a very sobering diagnosis, mm-hmm. and and I, I've made a lot of adjustments. I used to break bones, uh, real easy, um, things like that 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 I just didn't I just didn't put it together, I guess. And and I mean I I think knowledge is power, and and and. It's. I think it's very important that we understand all the effects of this disease, and get with the right type of physicians. Uh, I, I'm very blessed to live in Houston, where we have some really good doctors here, that that understand. Um, and I think the doctors that that treat this uh, have a lot different bedside manner than those that don't. Um, uh, doctors are, 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 are very willing to give you their cell numbers when there's a problem, and you go to the ER, you let them know, and they talk to the doctors there and educate them. And, and I think that's a huge thing. That is. That's something that was shocking to me when I was diagnosed, too. It was my vascular surgeon gave me her cell phone number, and I'm like, the first couple times I had to use it, I'm like, am I really supposed to be using this? Like, right. I've never had that happen to me before. Right. <laughs> it, 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 I, I remember growing up in the time when your doctor's number was published in the phone book. And I, I probably know that half the people in here don't even know what a phone book is. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I was sick a lot as a child. And and uh, my parents would call the doctor at night, and then they had the number to the pharmacist where they could call him, and he'd bring out antibiotics or whatever you need. Wow. Uh, but in this day and time, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-mm. It's kind of like a whole separate system. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But so I- it's uh, – I've had to call mine once, and, you know, it's it's – I hate going to the ER. I mean, I cannot stand it, but I know that there's some times that I just have to go mm-hmm. just to make sure that it's nothing critical that's life-threatening. 
What have those ER experiences been like now that you've been diagnosed with VEDS? Um, it's a lot different. Uh, in, in fact, it's almost like they deal with you differently. Uh, you know, you go in there and you say, here, call this guy. It, it's, just, it's a different animal. And they run tests that they normally wouldn't run on the average person, uh, especially during this this COVID time we're in, mm -hmm. because they know that getting into a doctor's office now is like pulling teeth. And uh, I remember the, the one time I went in and told them about the beds, uh, they ran you know, a CT of my brain and a CT of my chest just to make sure there was nothing, nothing there. What had happened to cause you to go to the ER? Um, I had a, a pain. I, I have a liver issue. I, I called my doctor and said, look, I'm having pain here. And, uh, and he said, okay, well, go to this ER and give the doctor my number as soon as you get there. And that's what caused me to go. Luckily, it was nothing. But uh, it uh, it was scary there for a little while. Mm -hmm. Because they talk about when you get unusual pains or whatever. It was the, the pain was pretty bad, and it was a liver issue. I went and saw a liver doctor after that. And... Uh, but that is probably one of the biggest adjustments to this is is uh, you, you just can't ignore a, a chest pain or a headache or anything like that. And uh, it's uh, it's a challenge. And and that's what I think is so valuable uh, about the uh, about the organization is that. You can talk to people on there, um, and you're not looking for medical advice. I, I guess you're looking for – you feel a little insecure in the beginning, and I still feel insecure about it because I don't – I still don't know all the aspects and issues. I, I'm becoming to be more educated on the, on the factor of it, but uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a different – it's a different animal altogether. It really is. I was doing, um, you know, I was, I do YouTube videos too. And I was doing a YouTube video about something that I call pain, pain anxiety, where you have right. a new pain and you have to, you kind of have to be anxious about it. Like you have to take it seriously. But sometimes I have pains that I know are normal pains for me. And right. then it, the anxiety will still sometimes take over. Well, that and, and something that uh, an issue that I have is, uh, and I think we all deal with uh, somewhat of anxiety with having this. Um, but it's like I, I tell people all the time, I'm looking for my new normal. Mm -hmm. And my new normal has been very, very difficult to find and it's uh i really don't think a new normal exists i think you have to deal with everything that happens with you in a very conservative fashion and and uh it's you know i've heard people say on the website many times 
that uh, it's better to go in and it be nothing than to not go in and you die from it. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what I'm learning. But it, it's a huge learning curve, Katie. It really, really is. It really, really is. And the, the website that you're talking about is the VEDS Facebook group and probably the right. VEDS movement support groups, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're, uh, those, if, if you have this condition or even think you have this condition, you really need to get connected. And, and I think the genetic testing is out there. You need to get it done. Uh, don't sit there and think I have it. I don't have it because it's like me. I was caught in a in in a ton of surgeries that I, I was literally dying, and and uh, I, you know, I I didn't take the time to go get the testing that I should have gotten, and uh, it. Um, they could have done a lot of things differently, maybe at that time, than what happened. Mm-hmm. And then you're a really critical. Uh, you know, I, I think I've had a total of 28 blood transfusions. Um, it, it was it was just a nightmare. Yeah, it sounds like it. I know a lot of people have trouble too with the with the bowels getting reconnected. Yeah. After those procedures. I've met some people that have had success with it, and others have like a permanent um, colostomy or ostomy. Yeah, and I have a permanent colostomy, and mine mine is uh, not reversible. Um, I think I see these people that get theirs reversed, and I'm saying, man, aren't they lucky? Uh, uh, some people come come to terms with their colostomies, and and they live these high lives and everything else and the world is great but i still have continual issues with my colon it, it it's like anything you get surgery on something even though that the surgery fixed the problem it's never going to be the same as after the surgery what has it been like for you living with a colostomy miserable I remember when I got my first colostomy after my third surgery, and there's a little joke that in my family we had. There was a sweet little ostomy nurse that would come into my room and say, Mr. Kelly, we need to learn how to make this thing work, and you need to learn how to put it on. I didn't even want to look at it. Believe it or not, I uh, I went back to work back in uh, – 14, I had a professional job where I, I dealt with doctors and attorneys and different things like that. And, uh, I, you know, I remember going into meetings and, and in the beginning and my colostomy wouldn't stay together properly and the smell, that it, it, it was a very, very difficult transition for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's a little better now, it's it's just uh, there's a lot of learning that goes into it, and I, I just I haven't I've come to some terms with it, Katie, but not a lot. Yeah, that has and to be very hard. 
No, it's very difficult. Uh, uh, you know, normally it takes people 30 minutes to get ready in the morning. It Sometimes it takes me an hour and a half. You know, I've had such support from my wife, uh, Lisa, who has been just absolutely supportive of everything and such a great caretaker, and I, I've been fortunate. But I think of the people that, that don't have family or, or whatever else, I don't know what I would have done. I'm so glad and that it, you have that support. Yeah, that that means a lot. And and uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, I had problems uh, due to due to allergy issues and infections and stuff like that where I would get infected uh, around my colostomy. And, and uh, luckily, uh, when I was at the NIH, they introduced me to a bag that was hyperallergenic that made huge difference, just absolutely a huge difference. So it's it's been a challenge, a huge challenge. And it's like you wake up in the morning, most people go, they, you know, they go get a surgery, they're fixed, everything is fine. And I have to look at that every day. And it reminds me of all what I've been through. So there's some, uh, there's some people that take it real good, and I just hadn't taken it real well. Are you still working now? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I uh, since the uh, the COVID outbreak, I, I've been working from home, and uh, that has probably been the best thing for me. Uh, I I I deal with a lot of. Uh, uh, like probably most people in beds, you know, I, I deal with a lot of joint pain uh, that's very, very tough. I have medication in case the pain gets too bad. Uh, also, they found another unusual condition that I have that is called NLPR12, which is an inflammatory condition where they think a lot of my pain has came from. Hmm. And uh, they have put me, I'm 30 days in on a new medication called Anakinrit. It's a daily shot, and it's helped some. But it's it. this has been a real, the past eight years of my life have been an absolute change in what I was doing before. Because I used to travel with my job all the time, and you know, had a lot of energy, but my energy levels now are just really not where they should be. Mm -hmm. And you're, you've got a triple whammy with three conditions. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I, I kid with people and tell them I hit the genetic lottery. Uh, there are three very rare conditions. You know, there's just not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of support out there because, you know, they they don't have that many people that they know that have it. You know, I really think sometimes some of the most difficult things we went through was is that doctors, my with the with the CART11 gene mutation I have, I don't show typical markers of infection. I can be in acute sepsis and not run a temperature. And I'm outside that box, and it frustrates these doctors. And, and then they start kind of playing you off. 
mm-hmm. like, oh, it's in your head, or it's this, or it's that. I, I, I'm afraid that the medical community, get they get locked inside of a box, and when things don't show them in the box, they they kind of discount you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's very frustrating. Definitely. I was going to ask you, do you have children? Yes, I do. I have a uh I have a 30-year-old son and uh I've got a uh a 26-year-old daughter who is a uh she has her bachelor's in nursing. They checked my kids for the uh card 11 and they didn't have that, but uh both my kids are going in to get checked in to uh to make sure they don't have the uh the beds gene. Mhm. How has that felt? Like Oh, that one makes me sick at my stomach. Yeah. Uh I would have never had children knowing what I know now. Now I love my children, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but but I feel it, it. It's almost you feel guilty about it. Uh, I met a nurse one time at a hospital. And we were talking about it, and she said she had some condition. I don't. I don't remember what it was, but she's never had children. You know, it's a. Um, it, it, it's a very scary, scary situation to be in, and it's. I didn't really know how to have the conversation with my kids. Uh, to talk to him about it, and that was a man. That was that was a very difficult conversation I had with him. Yeah, how did you approach it? For anybody out there who's having the same kind of well, issue, the the way I approached it is: look, I said you got a fifty percent chance, and I said it's better to know than to not know. And uh, which they agreed. Uh, my son has a an eye condition called keratoconus, uh, and my daughter has celiac disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it it uh, it was a difficult conversation. It, it was a conversation that I didn't want to have over the phone. Something I wanted to sit down with them because. You 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 want to see their reaction to it, you know, and and it's like you want to tell them everything's going to be okay, but you don't know that. So it's uh it's a difficult conversation to have, and uh, I felt like, I mean, I felt bad about it, and it was really, it was really difficult for me to have that conversation. When will they? They're seeing a geneticist soon. Yeah, they. Uh, my geneticist. Uh, they'll they'll go in. Uh, my son lives in San Antonio, and my daughter's in Houston. So uh, they're supposed to go in. I think next month, and and both get the test. Okay. And uh, I'll sweat that until that comes back. Well, you know, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed with you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. A, I, I do subscribe to the belief that it's better to know, even though it's a little bit more mentally taxing. Oh, um, it is. You just know. Well, you like, know, my daughter. Yeah, my daughter being a nurse. I mean, 
you know, they say a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she knows all of the, she's a NICU nurse, but, but I mean, through her training and everything else, uh, I mean, I don't think they have a class on beds. I think they should, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, she's going to know probably more than, than I knew. It, it's all of it is it like I say is very very overwhelming in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you're still and relatively would, in the beginning, too. Oh, I am, absolutely. You know, I I, I think the, the veg organization is 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 huge in all of this, and uh, I, I think all the the work that has been done by yourself and other people that have helped put this together. And, and I really think that maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe in the next lifetime that they'll be able to come up with ways to help prevent some of this. I know there's a lot of studies going on, mm -hmm. uh, but you cannot and, and I, I've made a living by fixing things my whole life, huge things, huge problems in business. And the frustrating thing that I have is that I can't fix myself. And it's, it's a very, very frustrating position to be in. And, and you feel like you almost lose control. And I'm probably a control freak. And that's what I hate about all of this, is I'm not in control of any of it. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I, I'm a control freak as well, so <laughs> I try to plan for everything that I possibly can. And what I've done with this diagnosis is just plan for everything that I can or every possibility that I can, and I've had to really try to let go of the rest. Right. You know, there's some things you just have to come to an acceptance with. Uh, it's it, uh, it it's hard, and and I'm not. You know, it. We're only talking about a few months here that I've even known about it, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I just I, I can't think enough uh, of what the Beds Association has done. And the activities that are held when you get a chance, I, I look forward to the first Tuesday in every month to be able to get with other people and talk about this. Uh, one of the joke, I, I met a guy on 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 your on your uh, on the the call that we have, uh, and and it seems to be a lot of. Uh, of females, but there's not a lot of males. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I met a guy, and and we started talking. And in fact, we exchanged numbers, uh, s just to have somebody to bounce things off of, and uh, of the way this thing affects us, and you know, or, or other people, and you find out, wow, well, they're experiencing it too. I'm I'm not crazy. It makes you. Uh, not that you like having what you have, but it's it, it helps with the exception uh, the acceptance process of this issue. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that those have been helpful. And for anybody out there, those are the 
the VEDS movement support groups that meet monthly for different people in the community, whether you're diagnosed, you're a parent of somebody diagnosed, your partner or spouse. And I will put a link to those groups in the description for these show notes if anybody's interested. So thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on and sharing your story. Okay, I really appreciate it. And, and like I said, you, uh, I, if, if somebody were to come and tell me that they, they got this diagnosis, Katie, what your group is doing is absolutely, there's not a value to put on it. So if you can help support it, whatever that may be, I mean, we have an upcoming visual conference coming up. And it's amazing the people that you're getting to speak at these things that are exceptional professionals in, in, in this, this disease. And you, you've got to, you've got, you can't do this by yourself. And you have to allow yourself to open up and, and get connected is the main thing. This has done more for me than anything I've had since I've been ill. So glad I, we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, but it's still like, it just makes me feel so happy to know that all of these resources and the podcast and everything has just, and the vets movement that everything has been so helpful for you and other people. And that just, it means the world to me. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for your time today. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. This was Staying Connected and this was Patrick sharing his story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Stay tuned for more episodes on the last Sunday of every month. And if there were any resources in this episode that you are interested in, um, check out the show notes and I will make sure to put them in there. Take care and see you soon.